As we, uh, as we get going this morning, a couple things I'd like you to know. Uh, first off, as Jeff shared, the prayer and fasting campaign. I know all of you men are going to be interested in this. Uh, some of us men are actually fasting uh, every Wednesday uh, during Lent. Um, the first time I have fasted uh, with food. I, I fasted for some bad stuff. But this is, I love food, so this is fasting for some good stuff. So again, I know a lot of you men are going to want to jump on board that, but we would love to hold each other accountable and love to do that together as a body, as a group. So if anyone's interested, men, talk to me. We're fasting on Wednesdays. Jeff also read from Luke 18, so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to that um, and just mark it. We're going to come to it later, but uh, that's going to be the passage that we hit most of all. And then if you, uh, if you would, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians 1. I'm going to highlight a verse of Scripture. If you do not have a Bible, we've got Bibles up there we want to give to you. If you have Bibles, take a Bible. You, can't, uh, you can never have too many Bibles. And so just, if you don't have one now, get up and get it. You can get up. Not that you can any other time in the service or I'll call you out. Um, no, I really wouldn't. But uh, please, if you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. And uh, again, we'll be hitting from Luke 18. Now, um, today is, uh, my parents are here today, uh, not to highlight you, Mom and Dad, but I'll highlight you. Mom and Dad are here today, so uh, welcome to Bellwether, Mom and Dad. I'm going to use you in a sermon, if that's okay. Um, that's kind of what you get sometimes. But uh, my family, we, we love movies, and um, today, tonight, is the Oscars. And not that I, I really, like, get into the Oscars, but I'll, I'll be flipping back and forth and we really live in this celebrity culture. I mean, the most popular magazines are like us and people. And so my mom loves George Clooney. Now, she loves Dad, most of all, but she likes George Clooney, you know, too. And, um, and you know, we and her talk about George Clooney. And, man, I could tell you stuff about George Clooney like I almost know him. I mean, we could tell you, you know, he was in the Oceans movies, and he, was, uh, he did a stint with ER and all that and that he has a house on Lake Cuomo, and he's like, you know, this stud hoss who dates all these Italian models and stuff. So it's almost like I know George Clooney. But see, if you went to George Clooney and you said, hey, do you know this guy, uh, John Hugh Tate, and his family? He's like, who is that dude, okay? Like, I know all this stuff about him, but he, he doesn't know me or my family from Adam, okay? So that was mom. Uh, Dad and I share a love for uh, the New York Yankees. Everybody says, why do you like the New York Yankees? Well, it, it's nice every now and then to, like, root for winners, you know. There are other, um, I don't, don't get me started, but, like, it's nice teams that win. But uh, Dad could tell you everything about Mickey Mantle. I mean, he could go into details. I'm not going to, that's Dad's deal. I, um, I could tell you everything about Derek Jeter. I mean, Derek Jeter, you know, Rookie of the Year, World Series MVPs. I mean, I could tell you specific plays, like he made at shortstop, home runs that he hit. You know, to win game five of the 01 World Series. I mean, just like random stuff like that. I could also tell you, like, you know, he's a stud horse too, and he's dating from Miss Universe to Minka. T- all these details. But if you ask Derek Jeter, hey, you know Johnny U. Tate and his family, it's like, who's that dude? I don't know him. And so, you know, we, we pick up like celebrity magazines or Sports Illustrated and stuff like that, and we like know these people. And the reason I say is we do the same with Jesus a lot of the time. I mean, a lot of us here could say, yeah, I know Jesus. I mean, I, I know he was born in a manger and, you know, the whole shepherds and wise men deal. And, oh, yeah, I know that he, um, you know, he did miracles and he taught and he healed and he fed 5,000. Oh, yeah, I know that he, uh, he died on a cross. I know that. 
oh, I know that he, um, he rose from the dead, and yeah, that deal about him ascending, and his starting his church and all that. So we can tell stuff like we know Jesus, and then we can also, like some of us can get in like really nitty-gritty details, a lot of knowledge and a lot of, a lot of dates or you know, scripture verses and run that by. And then I bet if Jesus was asked, well, do you know so-and-so? Do you know him or do you know her? He would say, or he might say, no, I don't know him. I don't know her. We can run all these facts and all this info, and Jesus might still say, no, I don't know him. Over Lent, we're talking about this campaign called Utter Dependence, Prayer and Fasting. Why are we doing this? Why are we asking you to pray? Why are we asking you to fast? It's really simple, broad strokes, so that you will know fully more Jesus Christ. Not with knowledge. Scripture says knowledge puffs up, love builds up. That you will know him and come to love him more. But even more so, that he, Jesus Christ, will know you, will know us. Jeff preached last week. Chris highlighted these empty vessels. You're going to be seeing them all through Lent. Why do we have them here? Why do we have these empty vases? Because to know Jesus, to be in utter dependence, we pour ourselves out to him. He knows us. And regardless of the facts, and regardless of the mind knowledge, which is very good, and we will hit that too, but to know him intimately, personally, as Savior, as Lord, in your heart. And so what we want is a church body of us as individuals to know Christ. And also an entire church. An entire church together praying, pouring ourselves out. We know Jesus. And then he would say, yeah, I know them. Yeah, I know that church. I know them fully. They have poured it out. Completely, utterly. That's broad base. Why pray? Know Christ. Today, starting it off, I want to get into some specifics. Like, why should we pray specifically? Before I do that, I would just say, why should you not pray? There are a lot of reasons not to pray. Let me hit those real quick. Don't pray because we told you so. I mean, don't pray because you think, oh, I got to pray because my preacher or my church told me to pray. I got to pray because this is what I'm supposed to do. That's like the law, and that's what Jesus came to rebel against and destroy. So don't do that. Don't pray because you like feel guilty and you feel like you got to. So if I don't pray, it's going to be bad. If I don't pray, no, don't pray out of guilt. Don't pray because you think that's going to get you to be a better Christian. That's works-based. Jesus has done everything on the cross. He saved us there. So don't pray thinking it's going to like get you to heaven. And then don't pray to show off or perform. Jesus rails against this, Matthew 6. He says the Pharisees, when they like to pray, they like to show how holy they are. They like to show how deep and how just, you know, good or wordy or crafty their prayers are. But hey, find your closet and God sees you. So don't pray because of works. Don't pray to perform. Don't pray out of guilt. Don't pray... Because someone told you so. So why pray? Pray because you know his love. We got sermon note cards. We do this every Sunday. You can use those not. But the first one, and we hit some specific scripture on that. His love. As in like 
we don't fully know. I mean, we really don't fully know how much God loves us. You say, no, no, no. I know, I know God's love. No, we really don't know how much God loves us. And we really don't know how powerful His love is. Ephesians 1, if you had turned uh, to that chapter, I'm going to read a couple verses. You could, I mean, I recommend reading Ephesians 1 over and over again because it shows fully just the love of God for us. But briefly, I want to read Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Give you a sense, a cosmic sense of how much God loves us. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I want to hit this again. The love of God. He says, blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places as he chose us, as he chose you, as he chose you before the world was created, before the foundation of the world, he chose you. Before the foundation of the world, he has blessed you. Before God created the universe, he knew you by name and has wanted to bless you and for you to live in his love. We can't get that. We can't comprehend that. But scripture says it and scripture's true. Scripture's without error. This is what happened. In love, it says. Underline that right before verse 5. In love, he predestines us. Don't get all tripped out about that word predestined. It means just he chose us. In love. He has chosen us for adoption. We are His children through Jesus Christ. To the purpose of His will. It's what He's wanted. It's what He's desired for us to know Him as Father. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in Jesus. I'm highlighting this verse because it's like it can be so heavy and like so cosmic and so before the world was created. And it's true. And that's His love for us. And see, in prayer, in our prayer life, I think it's so key how we look at God, how we view God. Who is this God that we're praying to? Because all of us have trials in life. All of us have challenges to a point that we can get to be like, man, this God is like a bad God. And he has you know, burned me so often and he's got me in this rut that it hinders our prayers. I mean, it, we either don't want to pray to him, or when we do, we're like, Man, he's not really listening to me because I pray for good things, and my life is in a mess. So does he really love me? Yes, he does. Scripture tells us this, and not just in these couple verses. The whole gospel, the Bible is about God's love for us. 1 John 1.5 says God is light, and there is no darkness in him. There is there's darkness in the devil and in Satan, but in God there is light and there is truth. And like he is wanting to show himself to us 
through creation all the way up to the redemption we have in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's like, I love you so much, I'm going to become flesh, I'm going to become human. I love you so much, I'm going to die for you, I'm going to bleed. I'm going to be brutally beaten. He loves us this much. If we don't, I mean, it, it, it is so critical, the starting point of just how we see God. Regardless of what you're going through in life, divorce, addiction, broken relationships, hurt, loss of loved ones, loss of children. Man, he, he loves us. He loves you. Please. I, I mean, I, I can't do this. The Holy Spirit came and I'm begging you, man, like open your heart to this God who is love. This is just like the starting point of Scripture. All the Bible is God's love for us. And our prayers, once we know that, if we like really know how blessed we are, man, our prayers are an overflow. Like we overflow with prayer. We pour out and just let God fill us over and over and over again. Because he loves us. Why pray? Because of his love. Why also pray? Because of his rest. His rest. We got some brothers and sisters here, myself included sometimes, who we can get weary. I mean, we can get tired. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not just like, like physically lack of sleep, that too, but like emotionally drained. And tired of like problems. And tired of burdens. And tired of our kids just never, you know, never, never doing the right thing. Never being who we want to be. Tired of our spouses. Saying like, man, when can our marriage not get healed? Tired of our jobs. Tired of our families. Just tired. And it's like sometimes we can go to church and we can read this scripture and preach these sermons. But we're tired and we're like, man, we're just not getting any rest here. Why pray? Because Jesus offers us rest. See, our world... And not just like the world out there, our world in here, we got our functional saviors. Our functional saviors. Sometimes that's like the bottle, sometimes that's like sex, sometimes that's like peer pressure, sometimes that's like, hey, I gotta be in the right social circle. But sometimes our functional saviors can be good things, like our marriages, like our families, like our children. And we say, this is gonna give me rest, this is gonna take my burdens off. And ultimately, it may for a season, but ultimately it does not. And so we look to them. People like look to me as pastor even. Like, oh, the pastor can give me rest as long as I come to him for counsel. And, you know, last time I checked, like I bleed too, you know. Like like I'm human as well. Or or we come to our small groups and say, yeah, that's the place. I'm going to get rest. I know I'm weird, but I'm going to go there because they love me and they're going to lift me up and I'm going to feel good on Sunday night or Wednesday night and then Monday morning's going to hit and that job's going to come back again. I'm going to feel down. Hey, I'm going to go to my group again. I'm going to get recharged and then down again. Or Sunday morning worship. Hey, I love the music or hey, I just love the service and everything. I'm going to get recharged and then boom, you know, it's just like up, down, roller coaster. I get tired of that, you know. I say, man, come to Jesus. His rest. His rest. That's what he promises us. Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Verse 28 through 30. Jesus says the words of our Lord. Come to me. As y'all get there. I love hearing that that flipping of the Bible, man. That's good stuff. Come to me, 
verse 28. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Words of Christ. Why pray that we can find rest that we will not find anywhere else in our world? Why pray? He says, I will give you rest. I love these words. He, he says, not only will I give you rest, he says, learn from me. That, that in our prayers, in, my, in our coming to Christ, that, that he will give us spiritual wisdom. He will give us instruction. When, when we are confused, when we don't know what to do, Christ will, if we come to him, not only give us rest, but he'll give us answers. We're going to hit that in a minute in the sermon, but he will, he will give us direction. And that direction may only just be feeling close to Christ. But man, that's, that's all the direction we need. I love this. He says, not only learn from me, he says, I'm lowly in heart. That, those couple words have just really struck me this week. Lowly in heart. Some translations say humble in heart. You know why it strikes me is that we come to a lot of other people in life and they use us. They do. They manipulate us. They triangulate us. And Jesus said, I'm lowly in heart. I'm humble in heart. Jesus said, I ain't got no agenda here. When you come to me, I'm not going to use it later. When you come to me, I, I'm all for you. No other, no other agendas. He's lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. How many of us, when we are weary, when we are tired, we just, we reach out and try to grab the nearest functional savior we can. Perhaps it's having a good time. Perhaps it's, man, can't wait to the next vacation. Or the next weekend, we're going to blow it out. Or that, that potential guy or girl who, who might be the one. And if that relation's working, man, it's going it's to lift... Lift our burdens. The newborn child. The new baby. It's like finally my life has meaning. These are, some of these are good things. But in the end they're not going to give us complete rest. It's because of sin in the world. Christ will. Christ came to give us rest. Why pray? His love. Knowing it fully. Why pray? His rest. And that our burdens can be lifted. Why pray? Because of his faith. His faith. Go back to Luke 18, the, uh, the passage Jeff read. And this is, the, this is really the key passage. And honestly, this is the most challenging passage. Honestly, this is the most nitty-gritty, gut-level stuff. Because this is the passage about when our prayers aren't answered. This is a passage about when we don't see the answer we want. This is a passage that really hits... God, I'm pouring out to you and I'm asking you for all this stuff or th this way of life and, and I'm not seeing it happen. Do we, do we have faith then or do we lose faith? And this hits on it. I want to read it again. Luke 18, 1 through 8. 
He told them a parable. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? Told them a parable to the effect that, hey, keep praying and don't lose heart, even if you don't get your answers, even if there's not resolution. Jesus would tell parables and he would like to like juxtapose the person in the parable to God. So for here, there's, there's this unrighteous judge. There's this bad judge. There's this judge who doesn't fear God and doesn't fear man. That is a bad dude. Like I, I know people who don't fear man but fear God. And I know people who fear man and, and don't fear God. But having those together, that's pretty, that's pretty bad. Pretty bad dude. And he's like, man, I, I ain't got to do anything. And this woman is pestering him over and over again. Jesus is saying, like, this is the unrighteous judge who answers this woman. You have a righteous heavenly father. We have a righteous heavenly father. We have a good judge. And the parable is saying, hey, the judge ultimately answers her. Jesus is saying, ultimately, your heavenly father is going to answer you. And he's like, but, you know, that thing that I prayed for... You're saying, now, I, I didn't get that answer for it. I'm saying again, God is going to ultimately answer us. You're saying, no, no, no that, that sin I want to cast out, I mean, it's still there. No, God is going to ultimately answer our prayers. I mean, again, God is going to ultimately answer our prayers. That's what Scripture says. It says, keep praying and don't lose heart. Okay? So he's a good judge. Also, he says, he says you are his chosen people. If you have received Christ, if you have accepted Christ, Man, God's got his hand on your life. You may be moving far from him, but God is trying to draw you back. Now, if you have not made that decision, if you have not kind of made that call, if you have not accepted Christ as Lord, then, I, then I'm here to say you're not in that like chosen field right now, and we want to help that. Come talk to us. Let's do something about that today. But if you're his, then you're his. And Jesus said in this verse, he says... Will not God give justice to his elect, to his chosen, who cry out to him day and night? Yes, he will. There's a good heavenly father. When you know Christ is Lord and accept him in your life, God's going to answer our prayers. Then he ends, he's like, will the son of man find faith? And do we have that faith? I mean, do we have that faith that our prayer is going to be answered? And when I say answered prayers, I'm not talking about maybe the answer we want, okay? So let's be clear on that. I'm talking about he's going to answer our prayers to his purpose and his will and his glory and his kingdom. And I have faith in that. Here's what I'm talking about, the nitty-gritty stuff. I've prayed over people who have cancer. I've prayed for people who are sick to be healed... And they died, okay? 
I've also been in fervent prayer for other people. Either they've had cancer or they're sick. And they have been healed. And I have no idea. I mean, I have no idea in my finite mind, my broken self, why one person was not healed and one person was. I do have faith that God knows and that God has a a greater plan. I have prayed fervently that children would be born into this world healthy. And there have been children that have been miscarried. I've prayed fervently on my knees that women who have had problems conceiving would conceive. And they did. And I still don't know in my finite mind why God allowed this but did not allow that. Are you tracking with me? And there are people I'm praying for now who are sick or cancer, and I know that God can heal them, and that's my prayer. And I'm praying for people now, for families, to have healthy children. And I'm praying now for marriages to be restored. And I'm praying now for people to accept Christ as Lord. And I'm praying in faith that God's going to do that. And sometimes when those things don't happen or don't happen in my, my time, I don't know. But I know, and even in praying, even in prayers unanswered, my faith has actually grown. So what I'm saying in this, pray for his faith. See, I believe if we go in faith, if we go in faith, if we go to God in faith, he will grow our faith. It may not be the answer we want. It may not be the thing that we would love to see happen. But I believe his purpose is going to be accomplished. And we will see his, his works and his hands. And so for you, and all of us hit this, man. We, we pray for people who are sick and they die. We pray for someone to get pregnant and they never get pregnant. We pray for things to happen and they don't happen. Are we going to lose our faith or are we going to say, no, no, God is sovereign. And my faith and my trust is, is rested in him. And even if it's, it's not my timing, even if it's not my will, man, I know that God's word is true and that God is light because his word says that. And it's going to happen. It may happen generations from now. I want us to have that faith. I want you to have that faith. Two stories, one individual, one is a church. The individual, a guy named George uh, Mueller. Probably don't know that name. This is the 1800s. Had this phenomenal ministry. First in England, all, ultimately all over the world. Was this devout man of prayer. He rescued so many orphans. He built so many schools across England. He preached so many sermons. People were calling him all over the world to preach. And he was this humble man of prayer. Here's the individual story. He had five of his best friends were not Christians. Five of his best friends did not know Christ. How many of us have good friends who don't know Christ? We probably do, but they probably say they know Christ. But these were five folks that he began praying for their salvation, okay? One year passed, none of them were saved. Two years passed, none of them were saved. Okay, this was a pastor. This was someone who, again, rescued orphans, built schools, 
was traveling all over the world, not in the days of the, days of the airplane, but in the days of sail. So going to India, Africa, preaching, praying for these best friends that they would receive Christ. Two years passed, none of them were saved. Three years passed, none of them were saved. Continued praying. Four years passed, none of them were saved. Five years passed, one received Christ. Four left. Praying fervently, five years for five people. Ten years passed. Two more received salvation, accepted Christ. Three, still two to go. You're 11, you're 12, you're 13, 14, 15. They had not received Christ. He was still praying. Year 25, friend number four came to Christ. He'd been praying for these brothers for 25 years to know the Lord. And yet still one did not. On his deathbed, this man, again, George Mueller, 52 years after he said, I'm going to pray for these brothers, 52 years later, the last received Christ. And he died. That is prayer, brothers and sisters. That is prayer. That is faith. That is saying, I'm going to keep praying because I know your will is sovereign. And I'm going to pray. Powerful story. Let me give you another one that affects this church. Okay? This church. There is a tie all the way back to the 1700s that this church, our church, well, Jesus' church, I said I was not going to say that. Give me some grace. Jesus' church here, Bellwether, has in the 1700s. 1726, a group of Christians are called the Moravians. The Moravians said... We are going to start in, in Germany a prayer revival. There's a small group of them, 50 probably at most. Start a prayer revival here in our little place that God's put us in our time, okay? So they began two groups, one of women, one of men, 24 hours a day. One person would pray one hour of the day. So 24 women, one woman would pray for an hour, then the next one, and men. 24 hours a day, one man would pray for an hour, another man. So two groups, constant prayer over this body, over this group, over this church. And their prayer was, let us become a missionary movement. Let us reach nations for Christ. Yes, us, this small group, let us have this, this impact on the kingdom all over the world. And they had non-stop prayer, every hour, every minute, every second, beginning in 1726. They continued that tradition well over a hundred years. Every second in this body, someone was praying. And in those hundred years, that little group became the largest missionary movement the world has ever seen. Why have you never heard of them? Because they would start church, they said, you don't have to even have to take our name, just go into whatever denomination, whatever. it's not about us. They sent people all over the world. They started churches all over the world and they kept on praying constantly over and over again. How does this affect us? They went all the way to the New World, America, the colonies. These missionaries were over there ministering to Indians. On the way back to Europe, they're sailing a boat. This brutal storm came up. There was a priest there, an Anglican priest, preacher, who thought he knew Christ. And he was a preacher. Wow. 
He thought he was going to die. And he said to himself, I don't know if I die tonight on this boat if I'm going to go to heaven or not. But he saw this group of Moravians that were praying and singing and worshiping. And he's like, I want what they got. This guy's name was John Wesley. He got back to England. He accepted Christ. He started his own missionary movement. Some of you know the rest of the story. Methodists here, even though we don't wear it on our sleeve, come out of that heritage. All because, 1726, this little group, this little band said, we're going to pray nonstop. We're going to pray every second of the day. A worldwide missionary movement began. We've got 40 days, a little bit less. I'm not good at math. And can we do that here? Would some of you be willing to say, man, I'll go an hour? Would some of you say, man, I'm willing to lead a, a just nonstop prayer that this body, that this group, would become a missionary movement? That we would send people to nations? That we would revive this city? That we would start churches out of here? That God would do this great work in our hearts and in our families and in our marriages and in our church and in our body? It doesn't start with action. It starts with prayer. Would you do that? Would you, we said 30 minutes a day. Can we pray every minute of every day through Lent? Can we do that? Yes, we can do that. But it, we can do it if we, we, we know God's love. If we can know in that prayer, we can find his rest. And we can know, man, it's going to grow our faith. We're going to see him work. And we might not even see him work until generation after generation after generation. So what? His kingdom is still going to come in glory. That's what those Moravians said, man. We're a result of their prayers. Utter dependence. Utter dependence. What that means is there's no, no longer independent operators. We utterly depend. We utterly empty ourselves. And a lot of us have very full jars. Very full jars. And we're not just talking about emptying the anxiety and the worry or the depression or the struggles. We're talking about emptying our hopes and our, our wishes and our dreams and that Jesus fills it. Emptying them in prayer. And Jesus will fill it. And he'll fill it with his life. And he'll fill it with his power. He'll fill it with his kingdom. He'll fill it with his death and burial and resurrection. He'll fill it with his purposes. He'll fill it with his life. He'll fill it with his work for your life in a body. And he'll fill this church with people who want to know them. And people who want to know his power. And people who want to know his purposes. And people who want to... I just want to know, man, that, that God is not finished with us. God is not finished with you. And that through the power of prayer, man, there can be a movement for Christ here in your life, in the world. I have faith in that. I know some of you have faith in that. And we're going to get started in prayer. And yes, I'd love to see us say, man, we're going to pray every hour over Lent. We can't do that alone. It takes a body. It takes a group of committed people saying like, man, come hell or high water, we're going to pray and we're going to know that God's purposes and will will be accomplished either now or in 10 years or 100 years. And just depend on him. Let's get started.
today.